Today we start a new series. It's way shorter than the other two series that we've had. In our church, we have gone through the kingdom series. We looked at how the kingdom developed throughout the entire Bible. And we also looked at the book of Luke and the life of Jesus. These two series they took up, they were, they were several months long. They, they, each one took up a pretty long time. Maybe together they make maybe six months or so. This next series is very short. It will last only one month, if that. And we're going to look at the book of Malachi, the book of Malachi. In the Hebrew, the book only has three chapters. In English, because of some translation, it has four chapters. Um, so the book of Malachi, you can look up, the, look up on the screen, is in the Hebrew scriptures in our Old Testament. And remember that the Bible is a library of books. And it has two sections. It has the Hebrew Bible, or the Old Testament, and the New Testament. We can find the book of Malachi in our Bibles right before the New Testament begins. It's right before Matthew, uh, the first gospel uh, that we find in our New Testament. And it's after Zechariah. Malachi, he lived about 2,500 years ago, 2,500 years ago, back in the 500s to 400 BC. During the time when the Jews, remember the Jews, Abraham descendants, God delivered them from the nation of Egypt, let my people go, that's what Moses said, and he was, his people was re referring to the, the Hebrews, who are also the Jews, and God made the Jews into a mighty kingdom, the nation that we now know as the nation of Israel. Well, eventually, after God had delivered Israel, the nation of Israel fell. It was captured by the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, and after Babylon fell, the Persians took over. The Persians allowed the Jews to return to their land. They are restored to a degree. The religious temple that was destroyed was rebuilt they were still under Persian power, but they were free to worship. Malachi speaks at this time in this setting. And as we will see, Israel was, at, was in a bad spot. The priests, the religious leaders of Israel, had dishonored God. There were, there were internal conflicts within this time. But Micah, Malachi sorry, addresses the Israelites to help them and remind them of the restoration God will bring. If you have your Bibles, we'll start off by looking at Malachi 1.1, the very first verse of the book of Malachi. It'll also be on the screen. And it says, A prophecy, the word of the Lord, to Israel through Malachi. God would speak to his people through what we call prophets. You might have heard of some of the bigger ones, maybe like Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jonah, or Daniel. All of these are prophets. And Malachi belongs to the same group, although he's a lesser known one. But he's still pretty significant. He was a significant prophet. In fact, Malachi's name, his own name, really helps him in it really helps him as a prophet because in Hebrew, Malachi's name is Malachi, uh, which means my messenger or God's messenger. 
So we have here Malachi. He's a prophet whose name indicates that he was God's messenger. And Malachi, just as his name would suggest, would herald the words of God. He would relay whatever God told him. He would tell the people, the Israelites. He would tell what God, the Lord of Israel, had said to God's people. Remember, Israel was God's people. They were descendants of Abraham who had a covenant with God. They're in the promised land. But here's a question that we need to consider. Are they serving God? This is written to the Israelites. We are not Israelites, but there is wisdom that we can glean from the words of God in the book of Malachi. And we do relate to the overall story of Malachi and of the Bible. The Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is relevant to Christians. But let's continue reading. Malachi 1, 2 2 through 5, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. As I said before, God had a unique relationship with Israel. God had a covenant with Israel. And here we see that God states that he has loved the Israelites. The Hebrew word for love is ahav. And love is a good translation for the word. It can be affection that takes place within close relationships. It can be familial or romantic love. It it can transcend social classes. And as we see here, it can describe God's love for his people. God loves his people. Israel was God's people. And in this context, ahav could also mean to elect or to choose. And God chose and elected Israel and thus made Israel his people, his children. We, through Christ, are now God's people. And God ahavs us. He loves us. And we know that he loves us. Because we could have ended up in a worse situation. But yet, he elected us. He chose us. Not because of anything that we have intrinsically, but he chose us out of his own love. Love is one of the biggest themes within the book of Malachi. Sadly, Israel doubted God's love for them. So the Israelites asked, how have you loved us? Maybe you have thought about that. How has God loved us? How has he loved us? 
He has certainly loved us by sending his own son, as John 3.16 says. He loved the world so much, he loved you so much, that he gave his only son so that we could have eternal life. But in Israel's case, how had God loved Israel? Well, some of you who may know the Bible might know that the story between Jacob and Esau, they were twins. And God uses the story between Jacob and Esau to demonstrate his love for Israel, for Jacob. So, as I said, Jacob and Esau, they were brothers, twins. And family is also a big theme within Malachi. But we see here here that Jacob and Esau, they were grandsons of Abraham. And even though they were twins, Esau was born first. He was the firstborn. So he was supposed to continue the legacy. His people were supposed to be God's people. They were supposed to flourish. But through a series of events, Jacob became the chosen one. Jacob became Israel. That's where we get the name of the nation from. From Jacob, whose name became Israel. And his descendants experienced God's blessings. Even though culturally Esau was supposed to be the leader of God's people, God had chosen Israel. And Israel had been blessed. It's like, you know, God should have chosen someone else. Someone maybe more qualified culturally. Somebody that's better. But he chose you. And he chose you because he loves you. Esau did not have the same blessings as Israel. Esau and his descendants, the Edomites, had been destroyed. They had been defeated by the foreign nations and were unable to rebuild. They were sinful and prideful. Therefore, they suffered God's judgment. God hated Esau. Hated. That's hard language. Some have seen this Hebrew word for hate that Malachi used as a word that means to reject or not loved. The Edomites had rejected their relationship with God, and God had therefore rejected them. Others say that God actually hated Esau for good reason. The nation had become wicked, violent, and hateful. As Andrew Hill, a professor from Wheaton, a university near Chicago. He said, because Yahweh, the God of Israel, is a God who hates, he also judges and destroys in his wrath all those who oppose and hate him. God hated or not loved or rejected the Edomites. Thus, the Edomites were unable to rebuild after defeat, and they ceased to exist. But God loved Israel. It still survives today, Israel. Israel has survived battles. Today we could go to this nation, and it's all because God has loved Israel. But this is, so we we get the idea, God loves people, God loves Israel, But this is the question that is super important that we should all ask ourselves. Has Israel loved God? Or have we loved God? Malachi 1, 6 through 9, 
A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty. It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice. Is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or deceased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. A son is supposed to honor his father or a daughter, his par- or her parents. We know this. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Honor your parents. The slave, though fortunately the formal institution of slavery has been overthrown here in the States. That's great and awesome. But still, the idea here is a slave was still supposed to honor his master. This, this isn't advocating slavery or, nor condoning it. It simply makes the observation that slaves honor masters. So, sons and daughters honor parents. Slaves honor masters. Well, in the biblical narrative, God is both the father and master of Israel. God is father because he established the nation and raised the, na- the nation. And he is master because the Israelites were servants of God. As God's servants, they were supposed to do the will of their heavenly master by spreading his peace. Therefore, as both father and master of Israel, the Israelites were supposed to honor God as their father, just like a son would honor his father. And they were supposed to honor God as their master, just as slaves would honor their masters. But the Israelites had dishonored God, their father. We, we, we also see God as our father. We're not Israelites, but we have been drafted or adopted into God's family. We could pray, our father. God is our father. He has, been, he has given us eternal life. We have a new birth experience. And these words that God had said to Israel can apply to us. We are God's sons and daughters. And we must honor him with our lifestyle, with our choices, with our thoughts, and with our words. And we also call Jesus Lord or Master Indicating that we are his subjects. The Apostle Paul would regularly refer to himself as a slave of Jesus. We are supposed to honor our master Jesus by doing what he has asked us to do. But I wonder whether we have been honoring our father and master. Or if we have been dishonoring him. I mean, I think for the most part, 
unless there is a significant reason. We all strive, we all want to honor our humanly father or mother. And I want to honor my father. <laughs> His birthday was uh, on Friday, so uh, make sure you say happy birthday to <laughs> But we all want to honor our parents. Um, and in a similar fashion, we should want to honor God. But we sometimes dishonor him. I mean, a lot of the times we dishonor God. Israel was dishonoring God. Malachi first addressed the priests. The priests were dishonoring God. He, he, didn't casu- he didn't first address the casual lay person, but instead he addressed the religious leaders, the ones who were supposed to have a close relationship with God. But they, the priests, were dishonoring God. They despised God's name. God's name in Israel's time talked about the person and reputation of God. It was holy, and people were supposed to honor his name. It was the name of somebody was something personal. It was a manifestation, expression, or, or representation of God's character. It was his nature and character revealed in his words and acts. And, and, and the priests knew God's name, knew that it was holy, that it was great and majestic. Yet the priests were dishonoring God's name. And they didn't even know it. I wonder whether we dishonor God without even knowing it. Actually, it's very likely that we do. That we have dishonored it. And we should repent of it. In the priest's case, how did they dishonor God? Well, the priests didn't care what they took to the altar. Don't think of the altar as this up here. Uh, That's not what it was back then. But rather, it was a place where the priests would take their animals to sacrifice to God. They had different types of altars, as we could see up on the screen. Um, They had a number of different altars where they would sacrifice animals, offerings, and give it to God. The Israelites were supposed to follow Deuteronomy 15.21 when they sacrificed animals. Deuteronomy 15.21, as you could see up here, states, if an animal has a defect, is lame or blind, or has any serious flaw, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. But that's exactly what the priests were taking. The priests weren't supposed to sacrifice an animal that had a defect, that was lame or blind or had some other serious flaw. Instead, the priests were supposed to sacrifice the best of the best because God deserves the best. But as we could see, the priests were dishonoring God by giving polluted food. And you know, the priests probably thought, oh, you know, it's not that important. It doesn't matter what kind of sacrifice we give to God. If we give anything, God will accept it. But God had said that the Israelites were supposed to sacrifice the best of the best. Sadly, the priests had become indifferent. They, could, they didn't care about the altar, about 
praising God, worshiping God, giving the best. They, they had become irreverent towards the things of God. I think we can reflect on this. Hopefully you could ask yourself this and answer this. Have I been taking some things lightly that God takes seriously? Have I been taking things lightly that God has taken seriously? Maybe it's worship. Do we give our best in worship? When we are worshiping, do we give it all we have? Do we give all we can to seeing that our Father is worthy of it all? Or maybe it's in our involvement in God's body. Look at your involvement within the body of Christ. Are you giving all your gifts to your master in servitude, giving your best? Or are you giving leftovers? And again, you don't necessarily have to volunteer at this church to serve God with your gifts. But consider whether you are using all of your gifts in service to God, whether it's at your job or at home. And we, it may be, it could also be discipleship or a relationship with God. Are we giving our best there? We learned through our time in Luke, that God desires it all. But are we just giving him our leftovers? Or whatever you think is fitting, maybe the bare minimum. We might not think that it's that important. You know, if I just come to church once in a while, or weekly, or whatever the case may be, give the bare minimum that that is enough. We might think that it's not that important. But to God, it is very important that we give him everything that we have and everything that we do. Honestly, we could be dishonoring God through our indifference. We could be dishonoring God by giving what we think is enough, by giving the bare minimum. The priests, they were giving Blind, lame, and weak livestock. Animals that were worthless. They were supposed to be giving the best. The priests should have been giving the animals that were worth the most. But instead they gave the weak, they gave things that no one wanted. God brought up this fact. What the priests were giving to him, they wouldn't give to the governor. If they tried giving the worst animals as a gift to the governor, the governor would be offended. Like, what did I do to this person to deserve this weak animal? Why isn't this person giving me the best? The governor wouldn't have seen the gifts as gifts because he would have seen them as leftovers, as the worst. If a priest had given the governor, let's say, a lame sheep, the governor would be like, dude, I don't want that. I like what... Kaiser Walter, he studied, he's a scholar on the book of Malachi. He, he said this, imagine that someone's writing this to the government. Dear sir, please accept this sick cow in lieu of the taxes I owe you. So instead of the taxes, take the sick cow. I trust that the old bag recovers and will prove more useful to you than she has been to me. Frankly, I just can't spare anything more than this at the present time. Oh, yes, 
please look after those requests that I made. This person gives a cow and still expects the governor, the government to still follow these requests. I trust you will be able to improve our local roads and upgrade the quality of our education. Would the government stand for such action? No. It would be unacceptable. Giving me a cow, a weak cow, a sick cow, instead of the taxes that you owe, instead of giving something that is required, that's, that just doesn't make sense. It, it would be unacceptable. It, it's not good. But yet, that's exactly what the priests were doing to God. They were giving what was unacceptable for the governor, for a person. They gave it to the cosmic king. The priests would give to God what they wouldn't give to humans. People are supposed to give their best to God. We are supposed to give our best to God, but we don't. And Kaiser Walter, the scholar that I just mentioned that wrote that letter, he, he said this quote, and I, I find this very good. A ruler of heaven and earth oftentimes gets treated more miserably than any human potentate ever would tolerate. In other words, God oftentimes gets treated more miserably than any human ruler would ever tolerate. With our friends, say we were with the president or with somebody who you respect, you wouldn't be on your phone. Otherwise, it'd be disrespectful if we just ignore our friends. Imagine if you're eating with your friend and you're on your phone while she's talking to you. And you're just ignoring your friend. That's just messed up. Unfortunately, we sometimes do that with God. We don't give our full attention. We don't give the first fruits. We don't... We don't give them the first things that we get, the best of the best. Instead, we give him what's left over. I remember this illustration that I heard back when I was in student ministry, and I think it's a very good one. One time in a Bible study, there was this student leader who was teaching. And during the lesson, she was eating an In-N-Out burger. And she had some leftovers left and then offered them to us. We didn't want it. We really didn't want it because she just had eaten it. Unless, you know, you were really hungry, you would probably be okay with getting it. But, you know, she's offering leftovers, and it would have been so much better if she ordered us a meal, you know, giving us the best instead of the leftovers. But yet, that's what we do with God. We give him the leftovers. And it's not good. We put our full energy in other things and we just give God a small little part of what's left over and give it to God. Not good. It actually dishonors him. Imagine if you gave your father leftovers of food and that's, I, I know sometimes you may be really comfortable with your parents and sometimes they appreciate it but I mean it, it's nicer if you got them a big meal or something. It's better to get him the best than just leftovers. It dishonors God when we just give him leftovers. He deserves the best. 
He deserves it all. He is holy. The priest tried pleading with God. Israel wasn't in a good place. The kingdom wasn't flourishing as it did under David or Solomon. They were under foreign kingdoms. The priests, so, so the priests would pray to God to protect them and deliver them from foreign powers. But like, how could they expect God or even ask God to deliver them when the priests were giving him leftovers? When they had given God these sacrifices that were worthless. We need to be aware of what we give to God. It's, it's critical to our faith. Look at how important it is in Malachi 1.10. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you says the Lord Almighty. And I will, not, I will accept no offering from your hands. This is crazy. Could you imagine God saying to the church today, close your doors because I don't want to hear your worthless words. But basically that's taking place with Israel. The sin of giving leftovers, the sin of just giving traditionally or out of habit, the sin of irreverence over what God has declared holy, the sin of indifference, the sin of dishonoring God, it, it is horrible. God doesn't want the temple, the temple to be open and have people come in and go out, come in and go out, just like it's a tradition or habit. He would prefer that the temple would be closed if that was the case. He wants people to give the best, not leftovers. Giving leftovers is a grave and serious sin. God wants you to be part of his community. Not because of tradition or habit. No. He wants you to go to church, to worship. He wants you to go because you see that he is holy. And because you want to honor him by giving your all within your heart. You, you know it's true that God deserves it all. And therefore you want to worship him with all you have. God looks at your heart. And we know that the priest's heart, their, 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 their hearts weren't good. They weren't in the right place. If you're not in the right place in your heart with God, you're going to be giving cut-rate sacrifice. You're going to be giving leftovers. You're not going to be honoring God. It's not about the gift itself or the offering itself, but it's about the heart. And if your heart is right with God, you will want to give your best. God looks at your heart first, then at what you give. If you don't desire to honor God, it doesn't matter what you give to God. You must recognize that God is holy. Yes, God is our friend. You can always approach him. But at the same time, God is the Almighty. We have read several times in Malachi Malachi, referred to, he refers to God as the Lord Almighty. While I agree the translation, with the translation of the NIV, I do prefer another translation, the Christian Standard Bible. 
rendition of the text, the CSB, and it, it says this, I wish, I wish one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would no longer kindle a useless fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you. But the focus here is the Lord. The NRV says, Lord Almighty. The CSB says, Lord of armies. It gives the same idea. Lord of armies and Lord Almighty. They convey the idea that God is great. I like the image of the CSB. It reflects the Hebrew. God is the Lord of armies. He has armies. Yes, he is our friend. We can approach him as our friend. But at the same time, he is Jehovah Sabbat, the Lord of armies. He is the Almighty. And look at the type of God we serve in Malachi 1.11. My name will be great among the nations. From where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. We don't serve a petty and an insecure God, a, a pitiful God. No, we serve a God whose name will be great among the nations. And even though currently it seems like no one worships God, there will be a time that from the east to the, where the sun rises to the west, where the sun rests, his name will be glorified. And it doesn't matter what we do today, God's name will be glorified. Every nation will give incense. They will give their best offering, a pure offering, because they will recognize how great God is. And with this last portion, we'll end. Malachi 12 to 14. But you profane it, profane the name by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its, its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifice, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty. And my name is to be feared among the nations. The priests of Israel, of, of Israel had dishonored God. They had the opportunity. They did have the best sheep, the best livestock. And they could have given it to God. They would even say with their mouth that they would. But instead, they kept it for themselves. And then maybe they would sell their own sheep, their best sheep, so they keep the money for themselves. And they gave the worst sheep to God. And sometimes we fall into the same practice. We give other things our best, maybe ourselves the best, but give the leftovers to God. I wonder, I really wonder if we could change within our hearts. And I'm not saying all the time, but today during worship, it was wonderful. But, but I wonder, uh, through our lifestyle, if we could join the future, 
Because in the future, everyone's going to worship God as God deserves to be worshipped. But if in this present, we could join the future by worshipping the great God who created us. I wonder if we could enter the future now, starting today, by giving God the best. Giving God our best, because he is the best. Through Jesus, because he has brought the future, we can worship God as he deserves to be worshipped. We fell from what God intended us to be, from a place of paradise where we worship God as we should through our lifestyle, through our work. We fell, but Jesus brings us back up so we could worship God as we should. Jesus invites us to enter a new way of living. Where previously, we, we couldn't care less what God had to think. But now, because of Jesus' calling and what he has done to our life, we can worship God as he deserves to be worshipped. We want God to be worshipped. And that's one of the greatest signs that, you know, God has done something in our lives. We're like, God needs to be worshipped. And I pray that you would recognize that perhaps you have failed and that you repent. You failed to worship God as he deserves to be worshipped. Maybe you've been taking cut-rate sacrifices to God. I pray that you would recognize that you failed, but at the same time recognize that Jesus forgives you and that you could begin a new life where you start worshiping and honoring God. God, who is our Heavenly Father and Master. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting us today. And I pray that everyone here may just reflect on this truth, that you are worthy. You are worthy of it all. And that we should give you our best into everything that we do, our best. Maybe we have forgotten this truth, and if we have, Lord, forgive us. But I pray that through the merits of Jesus, through the power of your Spirit, that we may wholeheartedly start worshiping you today and for the week to come. That through our work, that through our practice, through our studies, whatever we are doing this week, that we may do it in reverence to you, giving you the best. That say we're doing a task at work, we're like, I'm gonna do my best because I wanna glorify you, Father. And I know that through this, through this sacrifice, it could glorify you. You deserve it. We are your people, we are your children. And we need to represent you and also worship you. Jesus, be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.